Talking Tesla. Talking Tesla. Tesla. I'm not sure if like my foot should be on the brake or the accelerator. They put reins on Elon. It must be some sort of geometrical algorithm. Are you ready now? Oh, I'm sure this is math. Tom. <laughs> Robert. Yeah. Well, all right, fellas. Well, that's us How am I expected to drive a car without autopilot? So here's the deal. You know, I'm not a good parker, Tom. Yeah. I'll be the first to admit it. Yeah. I just think that this is a car company that is run by super geeks. All the other cars are going to be stupid cars compared to this car. Tesla. You don't even have Tesla. I remember that. You've got a Model X. seen the future, and it is light pole charging. No, I wouldn't call it a screw-up. Do you like your Model X? God, it's beautiful. I don't know if this is going to be felt looked at as a cynical gift or just something ah. funny, but it's. I thought it was very fitting for the show. So, gentlemen, go enjoy your climate change mugs. Oh, jeez! <laughs> Tom has given us a climate change mug. Add hot water. The oceans rise. Deserts grow and forests vanish. That's upsetting, Tom. It's like the Robert's Mars mug, but when you put hot stuff in it, the world disappears. It's sort of the inverse mug, right? As we terraform (laughs) Mars, Earth is slowly disappearing. Uh, It's so... Thomas. (laughs) Trump this morning said, or last night on Fox said, nobody knows if there's climate change. Nobody knows. You know, it's the worst part about this. I'm afraid to even say it on the show for all the letters, but on the box, I swear it says, bye-bye, Belgium. It does. That was really the thing that sold it for me. Bye-bye, Was that it said, bye-bye, Belgium on it. Belgium, bye-bye. Goodness gracious, there's so much good stuff happening. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's Talking Tesla 64. Tom. What? Went on a bit of a run on the weekend. Talk to us about it. I did. I did a a Spartan race. Why, Tom? Because of you, mostly. Initially, you started this whole thing. And then, I got of course, over it. you bowed out of it. I got over it. So I did my third Spartan, a Spartan sprint. This one was about five miles, which is one of the longer sprints, 20-ish plus obstacles. The airing of grievances. Oh, wait, no, that's a different. That's different. That's different so uh, Spartan Race, for those that don't know, is like a mud run, like an obstacle course. And um, they're quite painful. They make you do extraordinarily difficult things they in do. very difficult conditions, and you pay them for it. <laughs> but but you get to do it with a team, or yeah. you get to do it with a friend, yes. or you get to learn how to work together with one another to overcome obstacles. It's like being social in mud. It is. What you was the to- worst obstacle? Give us one. One bad obstacle. The last time I did it, the bad obstacle was they plunged you into water that you had to wade through that had ice in it, and then you had to run up a hill. And my legs were like, really? There was not a whole lot of water. We actually didn't go into the lake, which was a surprise to all of us that we didn't have a swim for this particular one. What I did feel bad for, the worst obstacle is the multi the multi gym, which is like a vertical horizontal bar, yes. and then you got to go to a, like baseballs. It's like monkey bars with like multiple things to hold on to, and I, I just laugh at that. Monkey bars. Do my burpees and walk away. Yeah, burpees. I've seen some people fall off mm. those and go splat very badly. Yeah. And then there's you know the rope climb, which was not over water. No one really cares about any of this on this show. I have a feeling. Well, but... I think everybody cares, Tom, <laughs> about what you do on the weekends. And then did you go curling? No, because I I hurt the top of my left foot. So now I, we're getting to the point where nobody gives a shit. Couldn't curl. Ah, ah, <laughs> I knew we'd get there. You. F- <laughs> oh <laughs> my god. Okay, so I'll tell you what I did. I uh, I no did one a, cares. I did a half marathon. Even I don't. You actually did one. Well, I did. 
on Did my you really? bike yeah. while my son was running. Oh, so nice. you rode a bike 13 miles at a runner's pace is uh, what you're saying. Yeah. Was it your electric bike? That sounds And real. I got to tell you. <laughs> what? Oh, good question. Was <laughs> it your electric no, bike? No, it wasn't yeah. my electric bike. That would have been perfect. <laughs> no, I uh, I went down there and I uh, dropped my son off, sanded to the sea, and then I drove all the way home. Then I hopped on my bike and I rode back up just to see how he was doing. So I met him at about mile eight. But you know what the most amazing thing was? No. What? He's a pretty good runner, pretty fast. He did it under one hour 30, which is pretty good. But there was a uh, Ethiopian runner there uh-huh. and a Olympian from this year's Olympics, a uh, marathon runner from Zambia. Mm-hmm. They don't uh, run a half marathon. No, so they did it twice? They sprint a half marathon. <laughs> I'm seeing this guy booking like, down like towards me. I'm like, what is going on? Why is this man running so far? Is there a man with a gun on the other end? He was sprinting for 13 miles. Yeah. And my God, it's like he's finished in just over an hour. I'm like, what is going on? Yeah, How so can you run that fast for that long? I'm, I'm, Practice. I'm looking forward to when they break the two-hour mark for the marathon. marathon. That's amazing. You have it's no happen. sensation of how fast they're going until you're standing next to them or you try and keep up with them. Yeah. Like my son said, and he's a really good runner. My son's a really good guy. I could keep up with that guy maybe for one mile. Yeah. Right. Maybe. Maybe. Right. Because they run at a five-minute mile pace. They're, it's amazing. When it's I went, I ran a 5K. I ran two 5Ks. I haven't run one in a while. I hate running. But I still run. Anyway, I ran a 5K, and I'm in the older men's category, right? The over 50 category, which would make me think, you know, I had been training a lot. Had a trainer, the whole deal, the special shoes, everything. And were they I got electric, a, the shoes? No, <laughs> I wish. No, they were just light as can be. And so I ran my, my 5K, and I get to the end, and I look up at the board, and I'm like, I've got to be in the top five. There's not even that many guys. There was one guy who was like, I don't know. He was probably eight years older than me. He ran it in 19 minutes, That's... a 5K. Now, I like ran 27 minutes and I thought I was hot. And lots of people ran it much slower than me. I was probably in the middle of the whole pack, but I'm an older dude. Anyway, this guy ran in 19 minutes. He was like close to 60 years old. I was, I, I, I couldn't believe it. A 64-year-old beat my son. He ran a half marathon in one minute 28. He said he has the uh, one American record. No. <laughs> he says he holds the American record for over 60. And I wow. believe him. I do too. It's just physiology. Some people have that gift and they've got parts and they of their tra- body that work amazingly. All right. Train. Now that there's only two listeners left on this so, podcast. Uh, on this week on Runner's World. <laughs> we keep going uh, into sports. I think so that's kind of interesting. Redonkulous. All right. I want to get, look, we have to talk about Trump. What? I, I've decided we got to. Okay. We're going to do it. Uh, the first He's thing. done some really fun things this week. It's been great. Look, uh, this is an mm. article from NPR, which is uh, basically goes like this. Trump has promised to roll back the Obama climate policies. He's uh, on track to do that. A questionnaire has been sent out to the Department of Energy. Among the transitions inquiry, NPR's Jennifer Ludden Reports. I want to know who in the Department of Energy attended domestic and international climate talks. It wants emails about those conferences. It also asks about money spent on loan guarantee programs for renewable energy. The Trump team questionnaire also asks about the department's role in the Iran nuclear deal that Trump has called stupid. And it asks for the 20 highest paid employees of the department's uh, national laboratories. And I say, is this normal? What the hell is this? This sounds like uh, some sort of African dictator. I don't think so, dude. Did you actually read the list? Yeah, I went uh, later and a lot of it seems benign. But Yes, most of it is actually completely benign. And if I was going to take over the Department of Energy, yeah. these are questions and I would want are. answered. And you are. Really? 
Yeah, so a lot of just them like, were questions I would want. A answer. lot of questions are quite good, but it's like you ask. But you don't know you what ask you don't 70 know. Seventy questions, and then you put in the two or three that you really but want, even which those, is like I need some names of uh, the people that I need to get rid of. I don't know. For me, this was relative. I felt that it was relatively benign. I don't know. Maybe there's something else to it. Maybe the smarter people who wrote this uh, NPR story could see something in it. I feel you know. There's a little lean there. I don't want to necessarily say. There's some bias, but there might be a little bit of bias in that in the reporting. Well, well let me let me just be a reporter on this. Okay. And I just read the entire four-page document of all the questions, and I just picked out keywords that I thought were interesting. They want I see things that they're looking at ARPA-E's projects. That's the organization, a federal organization that funds research and energy research. Uh, they wanted to know a lot of questions. They had a few questions about that. They wanted to know about development of offshore wind. They And these are quotes, EV everywhere grand challenge. They want to know about that. They want to know about levelized, I'm sorry, yeah, levelized, levelized cost for renewable technologies. And they, they, th- they, they're basically insinuating that when the federal government uses numbers to show the cost of solar, the cost of wind, the cost of renewables, basically, they don't take into account the fossil fuels that have to be burned when those things are offline. And the, and the cost of, of having those those backups online and available for those renewables for when and if they do go off. True. But if they wanted to look at the big picture, as we've harped on here before, they don't ask about the hidden costs of fossil fuels. What was the cost of the cleanup for X, these, these major projects in which it was a nuclear problem at a nuclear plant or like three mile Island? What was the cost of that? Right. But they also ask questions about nuclear energy. They're asking about the DOE. It seemed to me, from my perspective, when I read the list, that they're just trying to find out information of how the DOE is currently being run because they're going to have to run it. Sure, but there, I think there's a bias in here. For sure, I'm there's very a concerned bias. About I, that. I mean, I don't want to say that there's not a bias, but there, but again, it doesn't seem like the the sky is falling that they asked for this list of information. In my opinion, no, the sky's already fallen. Secretary of State, CEO of um, Exxon Mobil. Yeah, with so, close ties to, to Russian Russia. Putin. Well, he got a medal from from Putin. Who da, Who hasn't? I've got three <laughs> in my bag. Really? Yeah. I didn't get one. Me and Vlad are tight. This is not necessarily bad. If you're a Trump supporter, you say this is good. Uh, it's clear that they they want to run the country like a big corporation. Yeah. They want to run the country with the heads of uh, the oil and gas industry, and we know what that means. So what does that mean to us personally? If you really think that uh, global warming and uh, the toxins that are produced from burning of fossil fuels is bad – uh, we've got work to do. I think on some levels, though, the whole situation with Trump feels more and more like it's a lack of vision more than anything. Because, And also the knowledge in that if he can spend – let's say he gets eight years, God forbid. If he can spend those eight years making more jobs and, and pushing more money. And what's the easiest way to do that is that's to drill oil and gas, right? That's a very, very simple way to do it because he knows there it's there, right? He knows it exists. He knows it's a driver. That cheap energy is a driver for other economic sort of benefits to the country. So for him, it's low. It's super low-hanging fruit. So he has doesn't have to have a big big vision guy and at the end of his presidency he could be like look what i did i i brought five trillion dollars to the economy all of these high-paying jobs stayed in america right and we're 
now eight years closer to, well, that not mattering, I guess, anymore. <laughs> he definitely takes on the opinion of whoever spoke to him last. Oh, for so, sure. So unfortunately, the people are going to be speaking to him every day of the oil and gas industry. And so I'm hoping that, again, we've said a number of weeks here, that the economics now have changed to the point where this isn't that big a deal. And if he will listen, and if it is true, and I believe it is true, that really the growth in the job sector here in energy is not in oil and gas, but it's actually in renewables. That's where the growth in the next uh, five to ten years is going to be. But But he's not going to be hearing that information because he's surrounded by people who are in a sort of an industry that's dying and it's going through its last vestiges. But that's going to be growth in spite of his policies, I think, at this point. Oh, of course. The fossil fuel industry is dead. It's just... Is it dead in five years? Is it dead in 10 years? Or is it dead in 50 years? But it's right. dead. If it's dead, and, and again, if, even if it's dead in 50 years, you know, that's 50 years of jobs. That's a generation of high-paying jobs that are just hard, you know, Construction hard to replace. For, for moving cities around. It's hard to retrain people. I was watching Mike Rowe was on Meet the Press over the weekend, and he talked about job retraining and and all of these things where where we're not we don't respect the working man worker right we look down on people who like work for a living and put their hands hands on things and do machinery work and it was interesting because he talked about all these retraining programs are always you take a guy who wants to build something mm-hmm. and you try to retrain him and put him in front of a computer or teach him sort of a stem job that's not what that guy wants to do the problem i see is that Trump is not a visionary. In some sense, I don't mean to sort of like make any personal attacks, but this is my observation that, like you say, Tom, he's looking to boost the same industries that have been around for a decade, a century. These are, you know, quote, tried and true, though we disagree as far as the benefit to the planet and the, the sustainability of it. But he, he lacks the vision. And we are coming upon a time in the next four years even in which there is going to be a significant jobs disruption. We've already seen a huge jobs disruption with globalization, and that's not stopping. No matter what he does, that is not stopping. But we're seeing jobs being disrupted by automation robotics, artificial intelligence. And that is going to continue moving forward because economically, it makes all the sense in the world. I'm not saying it's justifiable, and I don't think it's necessarily good from a uh, a people, a compassion standpoint, but it is moving forward. And he is, I don't believe, with his team, going to be able to counteract that. So I think we're going to have a lot of social disruption. I think we're going to have a lot of dis- disruption. He's um, got a bunch of tech giants that are coming on Wednesday, so when this comes out, looks like he's basically taken the people who are the CEOs of companies that make $100 billion or more, plus a few others, and uh, Elon apparently is now going, because he wasn't initially on the list, but apparently he is now on the list, and they're going to discuss tech. Cool. Maybe Elon, uh, maybe being in the room with Elon will flip Trump, and will he'll be like, announce a $20 billion Mars initiative. I don't think so. Let's talk about cars because that's enough stupid politics. Let's talk Hopefully about cars, baby. The economics will win out. We hope. Yeah. Let's do it. Cars. The end of gas-powered cars. Uh, Teslarati. <laughs> we love those guys. Has a little article here that says 300 high-ranking German auto uh, industry officials gathered in Berlin. And they noted the, the calls to ban gas-powered cars is getting louder. German manufacturers have invested 14 billion euros in EV tech and have 30 models in production. They plan for 100 models by 2020. They note that the costs are falling and the range is going up by 2025. Get this? 
They think four out of five cars will have an electric drivetrain of some form, fully electric or partially electric. That's not that long away, ladies and gentlemen, boys das, and girls. Das Auto. In Germany. They had a few veiled references to Tesla, which are not that important. But at the, the same time as increasing efficiency of gas-powered cars uh, has happened at the same time, actually reducing the amount of CO2 produced for their industry yeah. in that country. So they're saying we're going to be more and more electric. And at the same time, our gas-powered cars are getting more and more efficient. So there's some good news for you. Yeah, from Germany. That I, is good news. Thanks, Germany. I'm looking forward to all those articles that are yet to come about the Tesla killers. Yeah. Tesla killer car. I want Tesla killers. I don't want any more Tesla killers, to be honest with you. And we're going to talk about that Faraday car in a little while. But but that's not what we need anymore. I don't personally think. We need cars that just move people the F yeah. around. No, no Tesla killing. No. How about Tesla patting on the back? Tesla Walking side by side down the same path towards renewability. Why can't we all just Holding get along? Holding each other's hands. Yes. Like kumbaya go. cars. Exactly. Yeah. The kumbaya vehicle. Well, I got another <laughs> article here that'll make you happy, Tom. It's from Teslarati, and it's about the Fremont factory. Fremont City Council has approved a two-fold expansion Woo-hoo. in the Fremont factory, adding 4.6 million square feet, That's a 11 lot. new buildings. Most of this is going to be for the Model 3, and currently they have 6,000 employees, and they're going to add 3,000 more. What do you say to that? Boys, Woo-hoo. I say that's pretty interesting. Although in the article, if you read it, I believe it says the space is sort of critical for the Model Three to reach full peak production. So, uh, yeah, I didn't pick that up. But the first thing, <laughs> but maybe this is so when they're doing a million cars, two million uh-huh. cars, but maybe they can knock out less cars in the current size because they used to be able to do five hundred thousand in that size. Yeah, and that's but before that was... you jiggernaut it or guggenhagen, humanheimen it. Uh, no Heimlich here. No, you know, when they, when they make it really Warrior fast. Where Heimlich did? When they, they make it fast. Yeah. Uh, Alien Dreadnought? Dreadnought, thank you. There we go. Guggenauten. <laughs> <laughs> How high did Elon's <laughs> estimation of the Alien Dreadnought go, right? He's at zero or 0. 0.5 right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're going to one and then they'll go to two. How high did he? I, I can't remember how many noughts he said it would go to, but he did talk about right now it's the production process Stuff coming off the line is a very slow walk. Right. And he wants to get it to like a jog. So it's a, it's uh, a, an order of magnitude. It's like a domestic alien dreadnought though, right? Not a, not a foreign alien dreadnought. So maybe drop the alien part. <laughs> it's not even a dreadnought. Yeah, the, alien, I don't know. the alien part is sort of is sort of well, seems they, out they, all over. But I guess I did have a question about it in that in the sense that I that I said, like, can we assume that this will mean They'll have some delays for the Model 3 if they're going to have to do all this building. So 4.6 million feet, and let's say they some of it is critical to get that production fully, fully ramped up. That that could, It feels like it might be a little disruptive, or are they going to have one complete line, and then they're going to build a second complete line in this thing? The efficiency aspect of it is what makes me a little bit nervous. How can they build a building and keep up to pace with the amount of cars that we all want and are expecting. And I'm a little confused about what type of production is going to go on at the Gigafactory versus what's going to go on in Fremont. Maybe they're just going to build the battery slabs in at uh, the Gigafactory and then ship them to Fremont. I had the feeling that they were going to actually create the car at Fremont at uh, the Gigafactory as well. But this suggests, no, no, Mel, you are ignorant. So I expect that this includes things like Model Y, pickup truck, other vehicles that they're going to build as well. At I mean, Fremont, yeah. I just think about that many millions of square feet and, you know, they're just going to have to 
first of all, they're going to have to build a bunch of it, right? Because yeah. it's not even there. It's they're building on on top of parking lots where which are now full anyway, and uh, they have to paint it. I mean, God. You know how long it's going to take to paint that much space? Everything's got to be painted white. Hang all that drywall. Coat all those floors in epoxy. Yeah. That's a hell of a lot of – what's the carbon footprint of that? Oh, that's, my God. That's huge. I hope you know, it's low VOC epoxy. It has to be in California. So. Yeah, okay. There's been some people saying the Model 3 is definitely going to be delayed for a year. Mm-hmm. And then some other articles saying, no, no, that's not going to happen. And maybe we're going to get to those in some of our uh, It depends letters. on what you mean by delay. You know what I'm saying? Like, like are they going to get – they're going to get to the point where they can make as many. I mean, my guess is they can make as many Model 3s as they make S's and X's, right? But that's not really the number we're looking for. So it, it depends on your expectations of the word delay in that particular sense. Well, right? this one uh, Goldman Sachs analyst whose name I can't remember, forgive me, basically it said Goldman. it is really important for, as we've said many times, for the Model 3 to have ex- excellent build quality and to have spectacular wow quality. And Elon and the team has shown that they are perfectly happy to delay, delay, delay until they believe they have it right. For example, three years on the Model X. So he believes that in order to make sure that the build quality is fantastic, that they have the wow quality absolutely down, that he does not expect to see a Model 3 in 2017. Well, they've already been pencils down, right, since June. So, you know, really, but what does that really mean? You believe it? They're completely? Not, like they're well, not tweaking first of anything? All, I don't think they're pencils. <laughs> uh, they're probably more eye pens. I'm just saying. That's probably a lie right there. Uh. And actually, there's another article that suggests that to know if they're actually going to get there on time, you start to see the prototypes beforehand. So the upside is we've already seen functioning prototypes. We didn't see functioning prototypes in the X to way down the line. So the fact that they've already got functioning prototypes, that people actually drove in functional prototypes at the reveal event, yeah. suggests actually that they are much further along than they were with the X. So right. for those of you that are freaking out by that Goldman Sachs man, other people have said, no, no, it actually looks like they'll be on time and we should be seeing prototypes in the streets early next year if they're on time to a sort of a mid-2017 release. But I interrupted you mid-pencils down, Robert, so you were saying... Yeah, I'm thinking that a lot of this is, again, more Tesla hacking, hacking at Tesla, hacking at Tesla's image. I, I don't... It sounds to me, I mean, from what I've heard from the Tesla side of things, that they're so on track that they're actually going to be pumping cars out in July next year. And that's that, I mean, that, that surprises the heck out of me. And maybe it's just going to be the, the first few hundred that they put through all of the, the big hard testing. But I'm, I'm feeling kind of confident about the Model 3. Yeah, the problem with the when we now spend a lot of our time trawling Tesla uh, websites and articles, and there is definitely this uh, push by uh, people to make sure there's something new, make sure there's something new, make sure there's something new. You get a bit schizophrenic um, results. Some articles saying they're screwed, it's never going to come out in 2018. Other people saying, well, they're really speedy and it's going to happen. It's hard to pass out the actual truth in these post-truth days. Yeah, but there is some true. evidence uh, yeah. that suggests that they're on time. But I do understand the argument from the Goldman Sachs gentleman that don't uh, be surprised if it's delayed if they start coming off – the first few start coming off uh, the line and there's problems. They'll shut that li- line down and start again. Right. But it's also – you know, it's a much you, – you compare it to the X. But the bigger problems that they had with the X was, were, was almost literally tied completely to the F-wing doors. Yes. Good because point. Because of the engineering because they had midstream had to take – Take the design of that piece and the fabrication of that hinge in-house. 
So that caused a lot, a lot of problems that they're not, my guess is that they've designed out of the Model 3 in a lot of levels. And again, I'm just saying it's interesting to me to think, can they double the size of the factory and at the same time stay on target to be successful in releasing Model 3s? And I'm not looking for them to make 20,000 Model 3s in 2017 i'm looking for them to make 200,000 model 3 so it's really just a question for on some level for analysts for ourselves here right it's a question of what is successful production early on what is it that we're anticipating you know what? having come out of there or yeah. want or need to have come out of there as soon as possible as you know more and more of these longer range vehicles are coming online from other manufacturers i'll pull a number out of my buttocks because people ask me this all the time about you know about your buttocks yes they ask me about my buttocks like what will i be able to get one of these in 2018 and i say right now no way if you are not on the list you're not going to get it i don't think that they'll make more than and this i this again out of my buttocks i don't think they're going to make more than fifty thousand of these in 2017 even if they get production started in july I think it's going to be a slow ramp up as they do testing and they ramp it up. So I don't think you're going to see more than, you know, 50,000. And so it's 2018 where you might start to see production at the 400,000 a year level. And another question that keeps coming up when I when people ask me about it is, do you want one of the first 10,000 or one of the first 20,000 off of that line? Enough people will. But yeah, I mean, been, I know people I've, will. I'm saying you specifically. I've like, been knowing officially what you know. burned now, and I, uh, <laughs> I still yes. The answer is still yes. Of course, of course, I want it because I'm an early adopter and I'll put up with it. But to a normal person, I would say, do not. I'm not a normal person. I'll put up with the crap if it breaks. And you? I mean, my S is in the twelve thousand model number range, which means it's in the first ten thousand because there's a lot of numbers they didn't use, and. I'm very satisfied. You know, I keep going back and forth again. I keep thinking it's the end of the year, supercharger free. What am I going to do? Should I actually buy one? I've got, you know, whatever. What today we're recording, it's the 12th. I've got 18 days to order another car. Should I do it? Do you not have to take delivery in the year? No, no you just have to order. No, you have to take okay. delivery in the first quarter. And they're, they're actually sent out an email. I don't know if you got it, but I got it, encouraging me to buy a Model S oh. now and take delivery before the end of the year so I can get maximal tax credits. Mm, there you go. So they're like looking to deliver within weeks. Amazing. And, and for me, yes, I will take the first 10000 Thank you very much. Can yeah, I have one now? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, uh, what, what I got you? an email this morning saying uh, your Model S is almost completed. Ooh. Make sure you go and get all the documents done. I'm getting very excited. What's your delivery site? Uh, down the road here, a couple of miles mm. in So you didn't, uh, you didn't decide to road trip it to Fremont to uh, pick it up? No. He I doesn't like to leave the house. That's right, Tom. I don't think you realize this car is actually not going anywhere. It stays at my house. I look just, at it. Are they just going to push the button at delivery and have it drive over here? Can't they just deliver it to you here? Uh, they probably could. They could just park it right in your driveway and then you don't have to move it anymore. I've got to take my other car and do a little swappy swap. Take that car with the scuffed wheels. I don't like scuffed wheels. Give me a new one. So that's what's nice. going to happen. You get I'm a big excited. red ribbon on the top of it when you walk in there. You know, I've had I've bought two Teslas, Tom, and no red ribbon. You've mm. bought one secondhand, <laughs> and you get a red ribbon. What's big up with that? Big red ribbon. It was a slow day at uh, Red Ribbon Town, Tie I guess. Oh, Red Ribbon. Next ribbon. article, Future Faraday. Faraday. I don't know what went on, oh but apparently the first five articles are from Tesla Rati. Not this one. Oh, this one. Yes, this yeah, one it is. too. Wow. Future Faraday. So King's this is the would-be 
This is the would-be test arrival, and they are teasing again. These people just tease, tease, tease. Oh. They are supposed to unveil their first production of their car at CES in 2017. Now, isn't that interesting to either one of you that, that they've decided to do it at CES as this opposed to an auto, auto show. show? And you're seeing more and more of this, of car manufacturers releasing major upgrades at CES because we've moved from them being sort of a truck to them being more like an iPhone. And so they're supposed to unveil this car. It's supposed to go about 300 miles. It's supposed <laughs> to have a 97-kilowatt-hour LG battery. And it's supposed to be fast because we have a link to a video that shows a tease, and it's got a ludicrous 100p a racing, about to drag race, this uh, future Faraday car. Wrapped. That's completely wrapped. That's completely so wrapped so you can't see it. And then they take off, and you just see the first like quarter of a second, and you know... And then at the end it says, you know, more coming soon, that this car is going to beat the ludicrous Model S. And I think that's great and that's cool. And if you're a rev head, you're going to love this. But how much is this thing going to cost? Is it going to be like $300,000? Who knows? But And you see the video at the beginning of the video. You see them side by side, the two cars, the X and the Faraday, whatever it is, wrapped up. It's got you can tell it's got wider back wheels. It looks like it's the same similar form factor. It's supposed to be like a crossover SUV. But besides that, there is literally nothing in this video. There's no information whatsoever at all. It's another one of those things. And there are reports uh that this company is dead in the water anyways. This so. is, the again, right. the schizophrenic reporting again. So they send out this video, we're going to be at CES and we're going to be faster than a Tesla. And then we hear that they've halted all construction at the Nevada <laughs> site until next year. And then because, we hear reports that the guy guy's owns, out of money. The guy who's like, it turns out starting a car company costs more money than I have. This is the Chinese billionaire yeah. who's a lot less of a billionaire than he used to be. <laughs> so I don't know what's going on. I want this to work, though. Let me be very clear. I want this to work. I want this to be a super fast car. I want them to build trillions of them. But I just have no idea what's going on with this company. But what yeah, I don't understand about why? it is what is this – it's sort of – Trying to relive the Tesla model, right? Where you're getting okay. So Tesla came around at a time where there were no really nice high-end, long-range electric cars, right? And but now we're at a point where there are a lot of mass-market electric cars either in the pipeline or coming out. Chevy Bolt, we're talking to you. Uh, model Three is coming out. So is there still this sort of why do we need this high-end car situation to? To, it's not going to be yeah my why? guess is popular enough like there's not are there that many people out there clamoring for a hundred and twenty thousand dollar plus car my guess is no otherwise tesla would just be building hundreds of thousands of s's and x you know it's hard to know we're we are in a bubble right we are in the tesla bubble the yeah tesla west los I've angeles california bubble i don't know maybe he envisions there's a great market for this in china or in the middle east and, you know, if China has these huge tariffs on imported American vehicles like Tesla, maybe he can build it, bring it back to China, get some special deal, get the uh, Chinese government to waive the tariffs because it's a Chinese company. And so now he's selling a car that can rival a Tesla in China for $50,000 less. That all sounds very good, except for one problem. They're building it here. Right. You would build right, it but that's in China. He, but that's what he said. He said because it's a Chinese-owned company, because the guy is Chinese, he could get them to waive the tariffs. You, 
They, Maybe, they, I mean, they could do whatever the hell they want in China. Dude. Yeah, but why wouldn't you just build it in China if that because, was your market? Because you He's can't making it for an American market. Because you can't yeah. poach the talent that's working for Tesla or Apple or Google or whomever else. In They're China. poaching. You can't poach them and bring them to China. I don't think anybody's going to, you know, like these engineers probably don't want to go to China and raise their kids. But in do Chinese they have schools. to go to China to build it? Well, you know, Elon could visit. is freaking sleeping on the production floor. Come on. That's that rumor is so old. Well, but well, it's not a rumor. He said it. When I was well, there. Well, I understand that, but how long has it been? Like you really think like in the last year he's been sleeping on the line? Probably less since they got those falcon wing doors fixed. <laughs> what is that like? Like Elon walks in holding his little teddy and he's got like his night coat on his, and he's walking his, his through the, and he's walking through the factory and like night night Elon and like the last guy on the line, like he's putting in like a little uh, the 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 front heads up display kind of a thing, and he tucks Elon in. He's like, "Okay, buddy, that one worked out real well. You want to look at the harness real quick before you go sleepy time?" <laughs> and then at two a.m., because it's really loud in the factory, he's like, "Will you shut the factory down? I'm trying to get some sleep here." It just doesn't seem good. Already. It doesn't seem like a great sleeping experience. It's all about the oversight. <laughs> So maybe he doesn't sleep. Maybe that's the point. Maybe there is no night. Have you seen when he tweets? Yeah. I mean, I'm on night shifts and it's like four in the morning and a little blurry of tweets starts flowing out. But we don't know where he is. He could be on a jet plane somewhere. Yeah, he probably maybe wrote them at four in the afternoon and said, send it out at 4 a.m. so I look like I work hard. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You can't time those, actually. Samsung. To make a self-driving chip. So again, sorry, this is from Teslarati from Gene. Now, it's Gene, the Teslarati show. <laughs> it is become the Teslarati half half hour. Here. Gene's reporting that Samsung will make chips for Tesla self-driving technology in a new partnership that should see hardware coming in three years and allow Tesla to develop its own sort of specific chips with Samsung. But Gene, I asked the question: What does this? Where does this leave Nvidia? Because Nvidia has their graphics chip, which they're actually using as a processing chip. And we talked about it a few weeks ago, and the NVIDIA stock went from like $30 to $90, and we're all depressed. So what does this mean? What does this mean? Are they not going to use NVIDIA? Is this an addition to NVIDIA? I'm confused. I'm scared. NVIDIA may not be able to make – first off, yes, they specialize in GPUs, not CPUs, as you mentioned. Yeah, but they basically use them as their processing chip. I understand that aspect of it, but they just may not have the capacity to – like Samsung makes millions of chips, millions of chips every single year, and Nvidia just may not have that capacity to be able to to modify and design. They just might not be. Who knows what like specific design capabilities Samsung has over Nvidia? But well, I'm just glad that Samsung is probably letting Tesla handle all the battery issues because Samsung and battery is a bad combination. <laughs> oh, oh, I actually went, <laughs> you know, I realize now I don't really necessarily feel as bad that I didn't buy Nvidia, although I still do. And I thought, wow, if this is the case, maybe Samsung will go up in price. How do you buy Samsung? So I went and I looked and if you're not in Korea, you're not going to be able to buy Samsung very easily. You could buy it in London or Luxembourg, but basically this is a very challenging stock to invest in, so uh, be aware. Next really? Monday, you can't I'll just be... go and go on to your little webby there and buy some Samsung No, stuff? there's only a few bank or international uh, financial organizations that can trade stocks in Korea, and evidently it's quite volatile in Korea. There is a, a um, non-stock market or Uh, I guess, off stock market trading of Samsung, but evidently the volume of trades is so small that you may be stuck without any liquidity. That's interesting. I know nothing about anything. 
particularly the stock market and particularly Samsung. Um, the Chrysler plug-in mini hybrid, and this one is actually not from Tesla Radio. It's from the Lincoln. Oh, yes. It's about time. So Chrysler has a plug-in uh, minivan. It's yeah. based on the Pacifica minivan, which is out right now, and a fully electric version is expected to be unveiled at CES with no real details. But the plug-in... <laughs> no, well, they're not going <laughs> to unveil it with no real details. There's no real details not in yet. this article. <laughs> but the plug-in version is expected uh, any time now. So I have uh, a number of people have asked me about this. Is there a plug-in minivan? And the answer is kind of yes. It's supposed to be out by the end of the year, but the end of the year is like two weeks away. Yeah. This plug-in minivan is uh, supposedly going to get about 30 miles of range when you plug it in, and then it'll have a, a gas motor. And this is something that I've wanted for a long time, although not now, is a plug-in minivan. How cool would that be? Yeah, very cool. And then they say it'll get, so like you said, 30 miles of range, so it'll charge in a couple of hours, so that's pretty cool. But it's going to bring up the whole think to about 80 miles to the gallon in a minivan which is pretty darn cool so and they worked that out by like what's your average driving a day yeah. and how much you could do on electric and how much you could do on gas and all that stuff and it's a pure gas electric kind of system right so it's not an electric engine that has a little tiny gas generator in it when right. the electricity goes it's a fully functional v6 with some power yeah this has got a so that's point six liter v uh, 3.6 liter v6 engine but that's pretty cool no, it burns gas. No, I understand that. But what I'm saying is it's not like we talked about the I3 a few weeks ago where once it's dead, like the battery, the, the gas is just sort of trying to recharge the battery and keep it's, up with it and it kind of cripples saying. it. Right, it limps it. This right. one doesn't do that. So it will appeal to a wider group of people. It's going to appeal to a wider group of people. Anyways, because it's that minivan form factor, it's got three rows of seating. So you could seat seven in this thing. Uh, the seats, I don't know if you knew this about it, but they not only fold down, but a good portion of them are gone, stow and go. They don't get in the way. Me and you have spent a lot of time pulling seats in and out of your old piece of crap minivan, and that is not fun. So stow and go seating is... I well, do like a bit of stow and go. And somebody here put an article from Electric about the Google Chrysler no, plug-in. The, the people will not. They will not. Uh, it's from... Wait for it. This one uh, was sort of bundled with the other. I just want to be clear. It's not a pure electric vehicle. And I don't know that they're – I didn't see no. that they're putting out a pure electric it's minivan. Not. No. It's a and, it's a. And I don't modified. know what the performance of it will be, but okay. They're going to uh, team up with Google, and Google already has uh, many, many of these hybrid minivans up in Mountain View. And they're outfitting them with LiDAR and all of the sort of next-gen uh, sensors to make them – Autonomous, and they're expecting to have a hundred of these things out and on the road testing the Google autonomous driving system within the year. It's pretty exciting. If you look at the pictures on electric, you can see like, like it's like an entire parking lot and you get to see the other Google bubble cars there as well. I wonder where this parking lot is. I'd kind of like to go and look at it. Yeah. I wonder what, so did it say what size battery just for 30 miles in a big I think thing it like was that? 26. That's uh, quite Kilowatt the battery. Hours. Let's talk about superchargers. Let's talk about. Electric! Elon and the kids have been, uh, starting to, are going to start cracking down on supercharger abuse. And it goes like this. French entrepreneur and Model S owner, oh my God, what's his name? <laughs> Luc Lemire. Luc Lemire took to Twitter and said, uh, Elon Musk, I'm at the San Mateo supercharger. It's always full of idiots who leave their Tesla for hours, even if they've already charged. Elon responds, you're right, this is becoming an issue. Supercharger spots are meant for charging, not parking. We'll take action. Bam! 
Some of the stuff they're talking about is if your car is fully charged, then they're going to start sending you a text message every five minutes to drive you crazy. That's already happening, but it doesn't seem to make much difference. And they note that there are people complaining about people like Tesloop, who we had on the show, where they park and leave their car overnight. I don't know if that's true. Well. But if people are doing that, whether it's Tesla, whether it's individuals, (laughs) that is absolutely bad. bad. Yeah, I I talked about this on 59. Episode 59, when I was trying to get out of L.A., right, I worked a night shift. I had to drive home like 55 miles, so my car was not fully charged, and I took a very short nap. I couldn't get much mileage on my car. I just wanted to top it off so I could get going to Northern California so that I could get up to, you know, like Buttonwillow or pass that to Harris Ranch, and the freaking Culver City Supercharger was completely packed, people waiting. It was a mess. You can listen to episode 59. And then, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we went off the rails a bit, but we're coming back onto the rails and we're talking about this issue of knowing whether somebody's car is fully charged or not and what would be the implications for that. It starts a very long discussion about how we fix the supercharger problem. I I can't tell if my car is fully charged when it's plugged in. Some other EVs have the little light Mm -hmm. indicators on the side of them, but Teslas do not, right? Correct. And the light goes out uh, after a certain amount of time on the the charge port anyway. So that's not an indicator. So we don't necessarily know that they may be getting low voltage at that point. So it's taking longer to charge. We should have one of two things done. We should, number one, on the top of every Tesla charger or even the lights that you see when the Tesla charger has a light on it, it should either be red when you're charging, flashing when you're about to be done charging or out when you're not charging. But uh, even the little round thing that goes around the charge port, yes, right? Just, dead, just make it right. like this. Um, um, what is the right? point of like, that? Okay, so now I know that guy's fully charged. He's not back yet. What do you want me to do with that information? Well, but at least now, Unless you, there's know, something now you, you can do. You can be angry for a reason, oh, right? Yeah. Yeah. Good. Be not being angry. Like you're, you're sitting there being pissed off that someone's car is charged, right? Maybe he just plugged it in five minutes ago. We don't know the answer. That's my point with it, right? There's no indicator to say when that thing is unless you've sat there for five hours waiting for the test loop car to leave that that's basically what i'm saying but there was inside this article a link to a private company in montreal a taxi company that owns some teslas and they bought right. their own supercharger so well, you can buy your own supercharger test loop and figure it out yeah. yourself and then you won't have to listen to us bitch about you every well, that other would blow episode their, that would blow their pricing scheme it was they, 60 grand is what it, i don't know it was real relatively cheap and it's it not 60 grand is a lot of yeah, trips i remember when we Springs. first talked to tesla they said one of the big drivers of them starting the business was free. the fact that it was free right. charging and yeah. so i don't know how this changes their model but you can't imagine it like making it double the cost but they have to stop doing that and well, they have to they're a taxi the ele- company the and we, we talked about this you and i right yeah. when they said we said like this is fine when you're little yeah but once you become big and you start taking up everybody's supercharger spots people are going to get pissed they are officially starting to yeah. get pissed if there's like 12 test loops in the culver city supercharger that is going to make people like robert uh, very angry And so already Blink Network has addressed this, and they're starting to charge people for, quote, parking time. So if you're plugged in but not charging, you're getting charged. And so that's one of the things that's being bandied about as something that Tesla might do. My only concern is that I don't want to get a lot of bad press that makes Tesla look like they're being punitive against people. We need to have a positive solution to this. So like putting some sort of an RFID uh, broadcast from a Tesla. And if you are a Tesla owner and you've got an app with a 
password. You can go up to that person's Tesla and message them. Maybe not directly. You don't see their name, who they are, where they're at, but you could say, you know, there's a red Tesla here next to me. You can always see the the VIN number and you could just send an anonymous message to them. Hey, I'm here. I'm waiting. Can you please come and grab your car? They could send you a message back and then we could do this like a community. But again, you don't know how long that car's been there. Like, so what, what is the time frame that you're waiting? Like, if I go to Harris Ranch and I plug my car in, because I've done this, right? We've all done this, right? We go in, we plug our cars into Harris Ranch, we go in, and we have an hour and a half lunch. Like, if someone comes in that five, the first five minutes, they can't see whether or not my car's fully charged. If they come in the last hour and a half, they can't see if my car's fully charged. So how do we know what those situations are? So uh, you're right. I think this is where that little flashy light, which they could do with a software upgrade to their little ring light now, mm-hmm. that would make sense um, as an extra reminder. Hey, dude, it looks like you're full and I need a charge. Could you come out of Harris Ranch and uh, move your car? Now, there's a lot of other things that they could do. So the problem is some people are abusing it. We don't know exactly how many or who those people are. But Elon has suggested that, yes, they have some data. One assumes that they have some data that this yeah. is actually happening. So Tesla has to be very careful about how they fix it. So, yes, a text message is fine. But they have, and this is what I had the interesting thought experiment, they have the ability to do extraordinarily bad things to Tesla uh, owners if they don't get on board. So if somebody bad keeps idea. abusing, they could do things like, Turn off the supercharger. They could do things like, oh, since you're being a bit of an asshole, you can only drive at 50 miles an hour for the next week. They could <laughs> brick your Tesla completely for a week and say, you're being such an asshole. Bad idea. And they could step up what they could do to you. So the point is they could do almost anything, but they have to be very careful about how they institute some slapping of people's buttocks. Even though if people are doing this, plugging in at night and leaving all night or using it as a parking space, That's- they should be doing something. but They've got to be careful about what they can do because they are infinitely powerful in this situation. Again, I think punitive measures are not good. This does not improve our image. The press will jump on this. The car companies like GM will jump on this. Oh, supercharger's bad, blah, blah, blah. So this has been known for a long time. Ever since the supercharger in San Juan Capistrano opened, there was an individual who lived across the street who would leave their car plugged in overnight. And that's been going on for like two and a half or two years since that thing opened up. And so on the forum and in the LA and the Orange County and the San Diego Club, this has been bandied about and talked about a lot. And there are, like you said, a lot of good ideas, but I would please, and I think Elon's certainly smart enough, to keep positive on this and to work to solutions that more build the community and community support and use sort of peer pressure to keep people doing the right thing. And I think you said it, the simplest solution is money talk. So if you plug in and you're past the charging time, you start to get charged for plugging in. And that'll help us build some more superchargers. (laughs) <laughs> but what if, what if you know, you – okay, let's think about the different scenarios. There's lots of scenarios. You want to go see a movie, right? Mm-hmm. And then after the movie, you have to drive out to grandma's house to take her to dinner. But uh-huh. grandma's house is 120 miles away. You've only got 60 miles on your car. For whatever reason, we can't always – charge our car perfectly for the events that go on. So now you plug into the supercharger, you go into an hour and 40 minute movie. And what do you do? So I think there needs to be better work like put the supercharger in the middle of a bunch of freaking parking spaces so people can move the cord around. Right. Two, make it so that somebody can walk up to your Tesla with their Tesla phone and they go, oh, look, 
uh, red Tesla here is all charged up. Uh, the owner has given permission on the app for another owner to unplug him when he is all charged up. I'm going to push the button that says unlock, boop, pull out the plug, walk over to your car, plug it in. You know, it's like, this is, these are design issues that need to be overcome. And part of the limitation probably comes from those sites at which Tesla gets permission to put the superchargers. They're not allowing Tesla to put one supercharger in the middle of four parking spaces and spread out over an entire whatever. That would be if you had 12 superchargers, each one could go to four plugs. That'd be 48 spots that you would be taking up. But this is like a social, that that's a social issue at that point. People have to do the right thing. And again, what if you walked up to a car and it was 80% charged and you were like, eh, good enough. I'm going to unplug that person's car and they forgot to do the thing. That's not cool. If I pull into a supercharger. No, it's a permission basing. So you could even, as you're plugging in, it says, how many miles do you need before you can plug your car into the supercharger? This all goes away because we talk about this a lot. This all goes away when you have autonomous snaky snakes and autonomous cars because Tesla can just say, by default, here's what's going to happen. When your car is charged, we're unplugging you and we're moving you across the street. That's literally two years plus, maybe more than that down the line. So we have to come up with some solutions when the Model 3 comes out before that is capable of coming online with the snaky snake situation a like step one is let everybody know how hard how far the thing is charged you said the magic word is the permission-based aspect of it right? no. because i don't want you to assume because oh my car's got 120 miles right that that i'm done because you don't know how far i'm about to go right. i can also see a situation where let's say i pull up and i've got 10 miles on my car and i just need 25 to get to my destination so i need like 10 or 15 minutes but you're you're going in two more hours, you have right. two hours to get to fully charged. Right. Like you can give me permission for 10 minutes on that charger. Right. And and again, there's a lot of ways to work it out, but we have to be nice to each other. Right. We have to be more of a community of Tesla drivers for that to work. Yes. And I'm just not seeing that at this point out of our people. And maybe we're making mountains out of molehills, and maybe this is only an issue at 5% of superchargers. And this may actually only be a Southern California issue because of the amount of cars that we have. People in other states are like, what the hell is wrong with you? Superchargers are always empty. Who cares if you're there all night? That's possibility. I wonder, and this would be a, a good article for someone to pursue, what is the cost per supercharger from the time they started? till now and project forward because if the cost of a supercharger has really decreased maybe the answer is more freaking superchargers yeah. oh i'd like that well for sure the answer is more superchargers but that requires more land more infrastructure right there's right. also also the cost of energy and maybe that changes a little bit when and we January know one and and we know we're paying well, everybody's been paying for supercharger sure. electricity anyways. If you did the math, most right. people would have paid way more per kilowatt hour than than they're than they're getting out of it. And I you know the the real question really is and maybe we've we've done this, I don't remember, is how much is test loop getting? You know, like are is even their $2500 supercharger investment making a break even for them as far as the oh, cost of yeah. electricity or a We way were ahead. like in the 50,000 mile range as an approximation okay. of how much you buy ahead of time. All right. This is so uh, – well, one of the first things that has to change, if you're one of these people that uh, thinks oh, this is not a big deal, I'll just plug in and leave it there, um, you should stop doing that. Just think about 
there's a gas station, a gas station down the road, and it has four spots, and there's nowhere else to plug in, your, fill up your car for 100 miles. And you decide to go to the gas station and lock your uh, nozzle in there and fill up and go to the movies for three hours. Right. <laughs> what do you think people would do if that became a routine? They would torch your car. Well, so then the answer is is the other way, right? So it's not more superchargers. It's for Tesla to unleash the power of the supercharger. So you make a supercharger visit a 10-minute visit or a 15-minute visit, and then you don't run into this issue of people being gone for two hours. Like, pull up to the superchargers. Don't leave your car unattended. Don't go to the movies. Don't go have lunch, right? The reason that this happens now is because of that time frame that it does take to supercharge your vehicle. That's easier said than done because, of course, if they could do five-minute charging, they would, and we will talk about it more in a minute. But we've talked about the fact – I'm sorry, but we have talked about the fact that they're – they're not putting the maximum amount of voltage through all of the superchargers at all times, right? We have they, – they are doing that now. They – yeah. So there are obviously very big technical issues about why you can't have full speed all the time, why you can't charge faster because Strobel years ago said, oh, I think we can get it down to five minutes, but we're not at five minutes yet. So I, this is not just as simple as them going and saying, okay, now you can charge in 10 minutes because if that was simple, it would have been done yeah it's coming i expect we're going to have like some super capacitor built into our cars that can take a huge dump of voltage very quickly and then trickle it into the battery at a slower rate and you can fill up in that kind of a system you're making faces well no i'm trying to think about the technology of that so you're taking you're getting something that's getting a massive amount of electricity and it's not and it's temporarily storing it before it trickles it into the battery that's the part of it that i was yeah, it's sort was of a buffer with. in other words it can take a huge bolus of energy and then <laughs> to feed it into feed it into the battery <laughs> but and that, that's super well again, super that's capacitors. well we're going to talk about super capacitors in a second the problem with super capacitors is you can charge them very fast but they're not energy dense except maybe that's changed with these new guys we'll get to that in a second the other thing just to say more destination charges so that person who's going to the movies doesn't have to plug into the supercharger yes. if there's a whole bunch That's of true. high amperage tesla chargers that are around oh i got three hours and plug into that one i don't need to go to the supercharger even a level two charger at 16 to 20 miles per hour i mean like how far do you drive to go to the movies do you drive 70 miles to go to the movies some I people don't. do That's well, some people do. Yeah. If you Road live in one, some, I'd go that far. If you live in some was, rural places, I'm going to some rural places tomorrow morning. Uh-huh. I'm taking off. We're going to go to uh, a little north of Phoenix. We're going to go to Sedona, Grand Canyon, Monument Valley. We're going to work our way all the way to, to Boulder, Colorado. And there are some places out there that are a long effing way from anything, not to mention a good supercharger. Mm-hmm. And so I'm having to link this trip through superchargers and reading even some of through our letters. destination chargers. No, through superchargers and a few hotels that okay. have destination chargers. But the bottom line is, is you really have to consider we are in a bubble and I'm looking at the people who are outside the bubble. You live in like the Dakotas. You live in like Wyoming, places where there isn't a lot of, you know, if you live rural and you have all your solar power and you can run your car in a bubble around your your living area, you may not still be able to make it all the way to a major metropolitan center. And so I think that if you had a variation of chargers, regular old 20 amp wall plugs you have level two chargers you have a bunch of tesla destination chargers that can go at 100 amps or 80 amps is really what they go at and you have superchargers and you have nema uh, or you have uh, nema plugs 1450 plugs other cars can use those too if only we could just get our together and coordinate this 
Standardized. More superchargers, more lots of charges. We all agree. Here's another one from Teslarati. Let's talk about some renewable energy stuff. And this is, uh, there's two deployments of power packs in Europe linked to solar arrays. One is for 500 residential customers and another one is for big business. And I throw this in there just because I kind of want to follow in the next few months, a year or so, how many of these industrial level power packs are going out there. And I just found this story on Teslarati saying, here's another one in Europe. Here's another two in Europe. So, uh, Exciting to me. Like to see more of those. Yeah, it's cool. This one's for 500 residential customer. And the very interesting, one of the very interesting things I took about this out of this article is the UK's energy minister is a baroness. We don't have <laughs> any baronesses that are our energy ministers. She's a bear. So that's pretty cool. Baron. This is like a baroness, like a baroness, like a, a female baron, like a duke, not a duke, but a baron. And I think it's really exciting cool. because it almost feels like every other week there's another announcement of a Tesla energy installation, a large-scale Tesla energy installation that's making economic sense. That's the coolest part. Well, maybe not. The coolest part is that yeah. it's reducing our use of yeah. fossil fuels, and that's just awesome. And they're not sure if this one particularly makes economic sense. It's kind of a test. Right, balloon, one of them's a test, but hey, you got to start. But yeah, you got to try. You got to start. Exactly. So, so the Guardian has a little article here about the Google. Wait, <laughs> not electric and not Teslarati? No, I know it's weird. Wait a minute. But we did have an NPR article. That we started that off. That was our political article. Ooh, yeah, you guys was, are welcome. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The Guardian says that the Google is going to power its data centers the and Google. its offices for. 60,000 staff, 100% on renewables hmm. in 2017. What? They're already the world's largest buyer of renewable energy. Last year, 44% of all its power came from solar and wind. And they say they're doing this because it's good for business. It's not even a green decision. Um, it was the lowest cost option to buy solar and wind and all the stuff. Now, they understand and they say specifically, we understand climate change is real and it's bad. But this was a... Um, economic decision as much as it was a green decision. And it also notes in this article that 2% of greenhouse emissions now come from the tech industry. It turns out the data centers use a lot of energy. Yeah. So this is exciting. Now, how they're going to do this is mostly through a very complicated system of offsets and buying wind from here and buying some solar from there. So they say specifically that this is kind of difficult to do as a small individual company, but they have lots of lawyers and time and money so they can do this. They so, do. They do have lots of lawyers and time and money. This is awesome. I think this is really great. It sets an example. Let's see if Facebook, let's see if Twitter, let's see if freaking IBM will go this route because it does make sense. And I think, you know, I guess Google's, you know, motto is do no evil. I think that's what it is. Something like that. It used to be. It's a crazy <laughs> Well, uh, I thought it was though. interesting that the article also mentioned that the tech company's energy usage is about equivalent to that used in aviation. Worldwide aviation or domestic aviation? I want the numbers. But I don't have them. <laughs> it's going. I remember when this was like they used to talk about all oh, these data centers use a lot of energy. They're using 0.1 percent of uh, the U.S. energy, and now it's two percent. This is going to going to go up. They're there becoming was, the alien dreadnought of energy users. There was a linked article. I didn't get to it, but I'm still really fascinated by all this artificial intelligence because I need more. And that is, it uh, it said that through artificial intelligence, they were able to decrease data center energy consumption. In other words, using maybe smarter computers to run their and and in this article google is doing this not completely with its own renewable sources right they are doing this sort of some of it through offsets cuz they can't get right. complete energy 
sort of independence. And they're using a lot of wind energy. Yeah. And they're using some solar. And I wonder as well, I don't know if it got into my notes, but you know, what, how are they dealing with nighttime? Right? People don't turn off their computers at night. Well, that's why they're having to buy the offsets, right? Right. Well, some solar energy is nighttime, like in Nevada with the molten rocks and all that right. stuff. So it's the storable. It, it would be interesting to actually exactly how they're doing it. It sounds super complicated, but doable at that scale if you've got the cash. And when they say, like, again, it's interesting. My question is, like, so they say they're using 100% renewable, and but they're buying offsets. So are they buying very specific offsets of renewable energy or are they buying the like build a tree off the carbon offsets because that's not that's the part of it that's still sort of unclear that there's a difference to me to buying carbon offsets and being a hundred percent renewable those two things are not the same well energy offsets there was a company that i was considering buying quote buying electricity from before i got my solar panels in which you would basically send them a bunch of your energy bills right so what you got your electricity and they would say okay based on your usage this is how much you pay us a month so you basically just send them a check and now you're paying your energy company and probably getting fuel from um, energy from whatever natural gas coal Uh depends on where you live nuclear yeah, nuclear. And so you're getting your energy, but they're taking the extra money you're sending them and they're building out wind farms and solar farms and pumping that energy into the grid. So it basically all evens out. It's sort of more of a philosophical move yeah. rather than an actual direct move. Now, are they doing it in places like in domestically? Yes. Or are they doing it in places like, because I would be totally down, I think, if I looked at my energy bill and they're like, okay, your electrical usage on coal and natural gas is x kilowatt hours a month but if you send us a hundred dollars we'll produce a hundred kilowatt hours of solar a month for this village in this place i think that could be actually quite powerful and maybe mel knows if there are companies that are doing that there are that are doing it but i don't understand again because in going zero i'm going to go into this in more detail i don't understand how that actually works so i have a hundred dollar electric bill from the department of water and power here in los angeles Mm -hmm. and i say well i don't want to use that because it's not clean enough i want a hundred percent renewable so i'm going to pay this company Mm -hmm. What happens to my bill? Your bill stays the same. So same. you're actually paying extra, but you're building out a renewable system for well, another that's company. That's not going to work. I don't mind doing it personally, but I thought right. it was, it's not gonna work. I'm going to buy I'm going to buy my energy from company X that's going to give me 100% renewable, but what happens to my bill? I thought somehow they were going to pay my bill on my behalf to DWP because that's what it sounded like when I went no. on to some well, of these websites. For a but domestic, for a for domestic thing, what they would have to do – so for that to work, what would have to happen is a private company would have to buy, let's say, a couple hundred acres in the desert, right, near near the DWP sort of distribution right. site or whatever. Build that thing for X amount of dollars and sell that power to the DWP and your sort of – buying that power kind of through them, right? You're buying that power. You're supporting that part of the company and maybe you're paying a couple extra cents per kilowatt hour in that in that sense, but that's sort of how that could work. But they're trying to make energy the most inexpensive way they can. So depending on where you live, you might live in Seattle where there's not a lot of like prospect for solar energy. They may build a solar farm in Texas where there's like a part of West Texas that's getting sun all the time and that they can inexpensively maintain it. And so they can create more electric from the money you give them. So their point is, give us the money that will bring you up, pay up to the cost of generating 
renewable energy, and we'll build it, we'll pump it into the system. The only concerns that I had at the time was I wanted to know, are they really doing it? Is there a scam here? And I don't have the expertise to do the research on that. And I don't know of anybody like a consumer reports who's going in or one of those like uh, charity uh, watch organizations that's going in and watching what are they building? How much are they actually pumping back into the system? How much money are they collecting? Are they really doing what they're saying? Because if they do, this is a great way for anybody, no matter where you are. If you're in freaking West Virginia, where like 80% of the electricity comes from coal and you want to be more green, damn it, do this. This is something about the community solar stuff, which is just starting. There's got to be somebody listening to the show that's expert on this because there is we need to know more. And I have the same issue as you. I like to buy carbon offsets, but I always ask the question, is this just, am I flushing this uh, 50 bucks away from my flight to New Zealand? What is happening with these? I'd love a website that's independently verifying, okay, buy carbon offsets from these people that actually do this. But I haven't been able to find a site that does that. But I think most historically, most carbon offset companies have been like, let's build, let's let's plant trees, right? right? Let's, you're using X amount of that's carbon. carbon offsets, not energy i know but that but he's talking he said specifically yeah, carbon okay, offsets, okay. offsets in that in that particular sense but i think you're right you're, you're totally correct so there's an energy offset and then there's a carbon offset and yes most people are going to want to pay extra although i guess it depends because you're talking about let's say actually nobody even wants to really put in solar unless it's really close to a little more or the same or most people really would go full on if it, they knew it was less right than they're paying but what people really need to think about, it may be the same or a little more now, but it is a guaranteed like the price is not changing for the next 20 years. And I don't know about you, but in the last 20 years, my energy costs have not stayed the same. They've gone up. And actually, I was just looking at a graph just for uh, Los Angeles, and they have gone up substantially and are about to go up sub-substantially and in the you, next few years. And if you talk about just the cost of living, so if you talk about 2% a year for 20 years of the same solar, you are actually saving a ton of money over the long run It's been like somewhere in, somewhere in the low 2% a year, like 2.3% a year cost increase in electricity here in Southern California, even though they only bump it up every six or seven years when they get permission from the utility commission. But if you look back 20 years, it's pretty substantial. Substantial increase is higher, higher than the inflation rate. And if you and the sooner, I'm sorry, but the sooner you invest in solar for your house, the more you can take advantage of that. So you could be saving yourself forty percent in ten years, twenty years down the line, which is amazing. We're going to talk about the cost of installing solar, and I've got some extra data. We've got some letters coming, but uh, we'll talk about it there. Where your payback period. In particular, in some circumstances, can now be like three years. Let's talk about SpaceX. This is from Tesla Roddy. I don't know what I was drinking this week, <laughs> but Tesla Roddy has another article. You were drinking here. with Gene, whatever it Apparently. was. <laughs> SpaceX just won an award from the World Technology Association of somebody. I can't remember who this is from. But, uh, <laughs> World they, Technology Network. Network. Give out these technology awards uh, for people who are doing fun and interesting and amazing uh, things. And in the category of space, up against people like Blue Origin and others. Tesla won uh, for most bestest space company in the world. Most bestest space company. And I believe it's due most to the fact that they were able to land their on barges and on the on the planet again. I.e. reusable good. boosters. Yes, reusable boosters, which they have yet to reusable. But mostly what's no. important is that 
somebody has to tell us about the launch manifest for SpaceX, which is coming up, and they're not launching this week as we'd hoped. They're yeah. not? A couple of weeks ago, I was so excited. I discovered it on the launch manifest website, and I reported it, tweeted it. We all got excited. We all said we were going to go, and then well, Mel I'm, didn't. I'm traveling to the Southwest. Mel's getting his eyes worked on, and I don't know, Tom, you don't even have an electric car, so you would be excluded. Wow. It's upsetting. It that is, is upsetting. upsetting. And so, yes, they did push it back. They didn't get permission from the FAA to fly a rocket out of Vandenberg, so that launch got pushed back. But when I went back to the Launch Manifest website, I did find that in January we have not one, not two, not even three, but four launches what? that they're planning in January. One from Cali and three from Florida. Yeah, so we've got the Echo Star. It's like a direct to consumer. They're all about television. Yeah, it's all about television and oil and gas. Which I mean, is, who doesn't we talked like about that? I love television. Well, right. actually, no number. Okay, so the first one is television. The second one is an ISS resupply. Right. Is, is and then I don't think we dates. should be supplying ISIS. I just don't think that's right. No, it's the International Space Station oh, ISS, the, not the ISIS. ISIS. Although so, the space station guy's got to be pretty bummed about the name of that thing. So, in case you live in Florida, the first launch is going to be on the eighth of January. It's going up from uh, Cape Canaveral, the typical space. Launch site, I think it's 43A, and it's for a direct to consumer TV satellite for Brazil. Important, but I see if you're in Brazil, if you want to watch soccer, now you can watch soccer. Maybe you have oh, to pay I think for they it. can already watch soccer in Brazil. And then on the 22nd of January, they're going to do the crew resupply mission for the International Space Station again from Florida. And then we've got two in January, but the date has not been set. There's the uh, the California launch from Vandenberg, which is this Iridium satellite system. They're going to end up putting like 70 of these little satellites up, but just they're doing 10 at a time. And these are for um, communications. I think it's for uh, like satellite cell communication. Wasn't one of these the oil and gas exploration satellite? Was that not one That's of the these? That's the last one. Oh, it is. So okay. the last one is also in January without a date set. It's called SES. 10, which is a communication satellite, again, for direct-to-consumer TV for Mexico and Central and South America. But they threw in their, quote, support for offshore oil and gas exploration. And we kind of talked about that. We were kind of debating that last week or the week before. Should SpaceX refuse? But what if it's bundled with something like a communication satellite? You know, it's like I don't know. I think it I don't might think be... they can refuse. And we got a letter yeah. from somebody, and we'll talk about it about about SpaceX's sort of carbon mm-hmm. footprint. We'll get to letters now. In fact, Cynthia, wait, Wiener. hold on one second. I'm sorry. Before you start the letters, I wanted to clarify: the Chrysler Pacific has a 16 kilowatt hour battery, yeah, not a small. 22. Yeah. Sorry, well, I don't no. want it then. Well, I mean, just before we get into the excitement of all of our lovely listeners' letters. And, uh, you know, these are in the tech world and in the Tesla world and in the energy world. These few weeks around the holiday season are very slow. So we've got some good letters to make up for it. So here we go. Cynthia Weiner says... uh, Weiner. Weiner, sorry. Tom and Mel, and apparently she doesn't know Robert and doesn't care, um, said there was a fiery crash in Indianapolis on uh, November 3rd. And actually, Cynthia, we did talk about this, and she was worried, making me think, maybe I shouldn't buy a Tesla because this thing blew up. And remember, the fire chief said, at the speed that this car crashed, it doesn't matter if it was, you know, 
powered by uh, angels and uh, marshmallows, it would have exploded no, into flames. Angels and marshmallows they never you, light on fire. They're 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 like fireproof. Marshmallows. So, I love burning marshmallows. Well, marshmallows aren't fireproof, but the angels sort of protect them in a robe of angelic uh, fireproofness. I understand. Well, I wonder, Cynthia, <laughs> if you do plan on driving over 120 miles an hour at any point in time, you may be in trouble either way. Yeah. So uh, the fire chief said, no, this just happens when you have these really high-impact things. Gasoline cars will burn and uh, lithium cars will burn. And it turns out when you look into it, the Teslas have, we think, about half the rate of fires than a uh, gas car. So if you don't want to burn, hop into a Tesla. But I think some one of her concerns was whether or not they were unable to get him out of the car, not necessarily. And maybe that wasn't due just to the explosions and flames. But And I don't know the answer to this question. Is there... Maybe in all cars because they do have the jaws of life. So is there like a fail safe? Like when the batteries are dead and there's no electricity, are the doors – is there oh, something well, about the is, doors not opening? This is a good talking Tesla tidbit. So hmm, tidbit. our front doors of the Model S – I know Model S. I don't know X as well. My apologies. I guess maybe I should buy an X instead of an S. But in the Model S, your front door – Openers, right above, uh, just below the window, just to the front, the place where you put your hand in. The you, manual openers. Yeah, they are manual. They are manual. So the front doors open manually with a cable. It's not an electric actuator. Nice. Yeah, but the back doors are an actuator. So when you use the standard door open handles for the back seat, it operates the motor that's attached to the latch. It is not directly attached. Now, they may have changed this in upgrades because the Model S has changed significantly. But when you're in the back seat, reach between your legs and behind your the inner Hello. leg, there's a little rectangular door that's just below the edge of the leather of the seat. And you can pop this out now. You should probably go, if you have kids who ride in the back seat, you should teach them this. They, You can go there, you pop this little thing off, and a little loop of cable pops out. And if you pull on that, you can do it. It's not going to do anything but open the door. And that's the fail-safe opener for the doors in the back seat of the Model S. And so in this case, again, if you drive your car at 120 miles an hour into a hard object, things bend. Metal bends. And when a metal bends, it becomes a little more difficult to pry yourself out of the car. And if you're knocked out, that doesn't help either. So don't drive 120 miles an hour. And if you want to have a safe car, then Tesla is, I think, the safest car on the road. It broke the machine that was supposed to test the car for a rollover and crush it. Now, the only question I still have, and I haven't been able to find an answer to because I'm ignorant, so maybe somebody who's listening to the show can tell me, is what happens if you crash your X? How do you get those effing wing doors up? You make a wish. You climb into the front seat as far as I'm aware. <laughs> Daniel Berman says he loves the show. Should I buy a Tesla Roadster mm. with a battery upgrade? And I say... Yeah, that battery upgrade goes a long way. It's like rated at like 350, 380 miles or something. But it's a small car and completely different from an S and an X. And somebody noted here it doesn't use the supercharging. No network. supercharging on the original Roadster. And, Still and, no supercharging. And on the battery upgrade yep, as well? No supercharging. Okay. So I wasn't sure about that. I tried to find out that information, but Robert says no. So, so no supercharging, but a long distance. So maybe it's not that big of a deal. And then maybe you're not driving your Roadster for 500 miles. No. In fact, I've, I've salivated over the Roadster ever since it came out. I've considered it. I've sat in it, I don't know, a half a dozen times. And quite honestly, it is not comfortable. 
comfortable. It is very small. It's very tight. It feels like you're in like a sardine can. I, compared to the Model S, there is no comparison. And you're so tall. My guess is you're about six inches over the windscreen if the roof is off on that Yeah, thing. I have to kind of slouch. <laughs> and if you do put the soft or the hard top on, my head's touching it. Yeah. But, you know, a couple people in the club have theirs for sale. Uh, one of the guys just got the battery upgrade and all of the other doodads on it. And he's very happy with it. But still... Only drives it on the weekends. Yeah. It is kind of like a Sunday car. You would take that for a Sunday drive. One of my friends sent me a, a text over the weekend, a photo. It was like, is this a real Tesla or did somebody do something to it? And it was a Roadster parked in a charging stall. And he thought like somebody had just modified some sports car and, and put some Tesla insignias on it. Yeah. I said, no, that's and, a Roadster, buddy. And actually, that's exactly what that car is. <laughs> it is a Lotus, which has been turned into an electric car yeah. Yeah. by a company. It's a Lotus body. And, and and you can get a NEMA – I'm sorry. You can get a um, uh, Chatamo adapter for it. So Tony Williams will wire it up so you can charge it on the Chatamo network. Oh, that's cool. Otherwise, the plug that it uses is this ginormous round thing that is like a Tesla wall charger. And you can hook it up to a destination charger. You can hook it up to the J1772 chargers. You're just limited. You can't hook up to CCS and you can't hook up to supercharger. Next letter is by Jay Mossbrucker. How is this hard for you? Just spell it out, buddy. I don't know why I Jay have, Mossbrucker. I have or a brain problem. It's either Brucker or Brucker, and I think it's Brucker, like trucker. In short, he basically says, uh, you know, what is Tesla going to do about this? The bury fact the lead, that Mel. Go ahead. Bury the lead. Bury the lead. What is Tesla going to do <laughs> about the... Service centers. What? Why am I bearing the lead? The first sentence. Tom is the smartest, by the way. <laughs> oh, <Bury> the lead. <laughs> Tom, Tom, Tom. I'm sorry. I'm he sorry. This is Tom my is only this? chance of narcissism each and every week, and Tom I need is to the take smartest. it. Anyway, he says, what's Tessa going to do about this service center problem? He lives in a place where the service center is hundreds of miles away. 240 for it. For instance. Which is a bit upsetting. And so uh, I say, yeah, this is a real issue. And it's part of why the oil and gas industry is fighting back, because they have, in fact, spent a lot of money on infrastructure and the car industry. And so you don't want to give up your infrastructure to the new guy, because Tesla is going to have to spend a lot of cash to build out their infrastructure as well. But I say this is a problem. If you live a long way from a service center and your car is breaking down, it's a total pain in the butt. I live five miles from a service center, and when my car breaks down, it's a pain in the butt. <laughs> but maybe this gets fixed by autonomy. Maybe what you say is, uh, my car's broken, send me a new one while you're fixing it, and they just send you a car. Maybe they have an autonomous uh, rover service, and the rover comes and it takes your car away and drops you off a new one. With autonomy, maybe you don't need service centers everywhere. Like a very pricey service situation. So first I want to thank Jay for putting my head outside of the bubble, which is Southern California, to consider they would if they had a rover that drove out with a person or autonomously, it has to be powered by gasoline. Few, Not if they make those few, electric if, big rigs. Few, if any, of the Teslas right now, he has a Tesla right now, will actually drive 240 miles. I mean, in, in where he lives, it's cold. He doesn't actually have a Tesla. He has a reservation for a Model 3 is what he said. And he's 240 miles from a nearest service center. And I will tell you, North Dakota, one of four states in the union without any supercharging. That's upsetting. 
Yeah. So infrastructure needs no to be built out. I think that's the point. But you could make your rover have an 800 kilowatt hour battery pack so that it could drive all the way there and all the way back and charge your car up and a couple other people along the way and with it would, autonomy. It would only cost Tesla God knows how many <laughs> thousands <laughs> of dollars to keep this kind of a that service going. Crazy. But, you know, you mentioned infrastructure. You kind of intimated that it was paid for by the oil companies but really gas stations are independently owned almost all of them and so you get individual guys get a lot get the gas station the gas company to front them a bunch of money they build out a service center and they run it as an independent business they're then contracted to buy only gas from that company i mean there's there's a lot to this my father used to be in the in the ga- in the car wash business, mm. so I got to grow up around all of this stuff. And the bottom line is, is these are all, majority are small business owners. And when will Tesla flip to that kind of a system? What if I live? I'm a Tesla fan. I live. I don't know where. Uh, Say North Dakota because up. this guy doesn't have anything. North Dakota, and I live in a town that's kind of on a major highway, and there aren't any superchargers around. What if I build out a, or, or I have a gas station already? And I say, Tesla, I want to put three superchargers in my gas station. And then that the, I can charge the for company, them. the people from Tesla can come and buy my coffee in my little supermarket or sit in my cafe and have a sandwich. And when will Tesla do that? And maybe even do what the gas companies do, help finance it and help promote it and make it so that it's a viable system. And then how many more superchargers would we get? Right, but so, but the, in this particular instance, that person in the middle of nowhere is more than likely also the town service center. So they have to be trained in how to fix them. That's a little bit of a different situation. Tela mechanic. So, like, you get on the laptop, and there's a Tesla mechanic in Mountain View, and the dude's on the phone with service centers all over the world, saying, "Oh, yes, if you're having that problem with the falcon wing doors, you need to put this part on, and maybe they can even have a 3D printer." That prints up the part. And Jay's father put down a reservation, and yeah. he lives 430 miles from the nearest service center. That's a really long time. Yeah. Again, I don't know that there is a – there's not a short-term solution for this, obviously. And I guess the long-term solution is the success of the Model 3. Build the more quality. successful the Model 3 is, the more cash Tesla's going to have the ability to – make infrastructure to train people to in service centers. I mean, body work wise, cars are cars, especially if they're steel versus aluminum. I know we bitch and complain about the falking wing doors and this little thing breaks and that little thing breaks, but I can still say, and I've been driving cars for a long time, that my Tesla, compared to all the other cars I've owned before, still requires less time yeah. in the service center or in the smog center where I get my smog certificates or getting tires or getting brakes or you total that all up. And in fact, I was miffed to see that there was some article that said the average cost of a Tesla owner for service is $1,300 a year. And I thought, what the f- is that all about this is the guy with the 21 inch wheels that's having to get new tires exactly. every, every that's what it is year. is the people who are having to spend like 10 uh, or i should say like two three four thousand mm-hmm. dollars every year or twice a year to buy tires yeah. that's driving up the average my guess right is, you don't know. buy those 21 inch no wheels. when i'm looking online at the cars like 21 inch wheels well a lot of people have a lot of money to burn right i met a guy at the toys for tots no at the motor for toys 
couple Sundays ago, two Sundays ago, and he had just picked up a 90D Ludicrous. And the first thing he did, and it was in this beautiful red, he went and had it wrapped, completely wrapped in clear coat to protect the paint. Mm -hmm. And then he had everything blacked out. And then he had the wheels all redone. And so here's somebody who goes out and they buy a $140,000 car and then dump another $25,000 onto the car doing all kinds of amazing things. So some people just don't give They've got plenty of money to let them buy those tires, but don't include them in the yearly cost. They They should should adopt me. me. So for the people who don't have shitloads of cash, (laughs) don't get the 21-inch tires. Uh, Felix Bartz. Good job. Does that uh, do a good job? I think you nailed that one. Has a very, very long email, but uh, let me summarize. No, he said it's a short. I'm going to give you a very short letter. It's not short at all. It's not even close to short. I mean, maybe in Germany it's short. (laughs) First of all, he says that uh, Renault has as the Zoe, which is an electric car that's doing really well for a number of different reasons. They're selling really great in Europe, but they have this combined AC-DC charging system that apparently is just for the, that Renault uses. And the most interesting part to me was that their fast AC charging is really fast. So to get fast charging here in the US, really fast charging, you have to use uh, direct current. But they have this 43 kilowatt AC charging, which is twice as fast as the Tesla destination charger or the Tesla charger you can have at home. So they can put on 100 to 120 miles of range per hour of charge in this uh, Renault, and we can only do about 50 to 60 in a Tesla in the US. And I was thinking, that is pretty cool. Is there anything to stop Tesla having much faster destination charging than we have right now? And do we really need it? Is 50 or 60 miles per hour of charge enough? I mean, that's kind of crazy fast. That's not practical for your home because, quite honestly, if you look at a 200 in the United States, right, we have a different type of energy supply, right? We have two phase, not three phase. But getting to the basics, if you took a 240 volt plug and you tried to get that many kilowatts, 43 kilowatts of AC charge, you had to have to put two, 180 amps into it, which means that your circuit needs to be 215 amps. That's the power to most homes, like the entire power. The the power companies would flip. I mean, like not a switch, but they would flip over because you would burn. Well, you wouldn't burn, but you would tax the wires coming from the pole to your home at that rate. They would they would probably refuse you being able to put that in your house. So I don't know where they put these chargers. So you're right. Uh, we have a different energy system. So good for you. But is this another part of the infrastructure build out? So you'll have fast DC charging and maybe they can get it to five minutes. You'll have destination charging at 80 amps and maybe uh, Tesla could have sort of uh, Costco charging where you're going into the store for an hour, which is twice as fast as the charging now, just using the current AC infrastructure. I think that could be pretty cool. I you could just three see, levels. I could see one of these, you know, parking vendors coming up in the next few years with a parking system where you just basically drive up, you put your card, credit card, whatever, something into a slot. You walk away from your car. It moves your car to the appropriate charger at the appropriate rate with a sneaky bot. And you come out when you're done charge, when you're done shopping, eating, movieing, and boom, there's your car ready to go. I'm also interested in the business aspects of this. You're talking about you have these independently owned gas stations 
independently owned superchargers in the future, maybe that could be pretty cool. I see more and more businesses saying, boy, we want Tesla owners, we want electric car people coming. It'll be interesting to see if that becomes the biggest driver of uh, infrastructure is actually some of these things that are not directly done by Tesla, but done by other companies. I could say if there was a Costco and a Sam store, but at the Costco, they had really fast destination charging and the Sam store didn't, I'm going to become a Costco member, not a Sam store member. Um, and as there's more and more electric cars, I think you'll start to reach a tipping point where everybody's building infrastructure because they want those customers. We did a story about this where Target was putting electric vehicle chargers in their stores, not necessarily because they were green. I I applaud them for doing it, but because it kept people in their stores longer. And they knew that a purchase, an item was selected, something like once every six minutes. So if you spent six minutes in the store, you were buying one thing. If you spent 36 minutes in the store, you're buying six things. And if you're there waiting for your car to get 15 miles of charge or 50 miles of charge, whatever it is, then they will suck your money out of the wallet and they're happy. You're evidently happy. Everybody's happy. It's a lot of happiness. You know, I got to say that the Oxenard supercharger is very expensive for me because whenever I go there, there's an REI and I normally don't go to REI. But when mm. I go over there, I'm like, boy, there's a lot of fun toys at REI and I spend some cash. Yeah. There's, yeah. There's an H&M there. R-E-I's I haven't been to either of them, but there's, there's also- a Whole Foods in which I've I've probably spent a small a small amount of my allowance. There's a cool like little California information store that is closed at night whenever I go there to charge. Yeah. Uh, but it, other like during the day, it would be cool to go in there. They have all kinds of California centric items, mm. California pillows and hats and such. So the Zoe is cool. It looks kind of small, maybe smart car size, and they mm, lease bigger. the battery. Yes. Yeah. I so I'm not really understanding what does that, that situation. So this reminds me of when Renault teamed up with a company in Israel yeah. and they were building out a network where you basically bought the car but not the battery and they would do battery swaps across Israel. Of course, this thing, well, I shouldn't say of course, unfortunately, this thing failed, but it's a new concept, right? The battery is the most expensive part of the car. How about just a monthly payment? So you pay a monthly fee for the battery, you could have a battery that's bigger. You could have a battery that's smaller. It sort of opens up more possibilities. If when you first get the car, you can't afford the 90-kilowatt battery, yeah. you can only afford the 40-kilowatt battery, so be it. And then you change your lease payment and you change up to a bigger battery. I think that's kind of a cool concept. I'm, I'm afraid I didn't look more into it, but I'd like to. So the difference – so when you go to the Zoe website – you see the expression nav at 13,995 pounds. And if you want to own the battery, they charge you 18,995. So 5,000 pounds for that 22 kilowatt hour battery. Otherwise, I guess you're right. You must pay some sort of monthly fee. I've been trying to find it on the website. I could not figure out what the deal is. Although there is a photo on the website of a lovely couple, beautiful modern home, and they have a little charger and the car's plugged into the front. I don't know. Maybe it's one of those super fast danger chargers. Uh, but it looks like a pretty cool little car. And at the high end, it gets up to nearly 200 miles of range. So that's yeah. pretty cool. It's a pretty sweet little car. Yeah. Now, the other thing that uh, Felix was talking about here is um, 
low energy housing and Europe is mm. so far ahead of at least California in this. In California, we basically just throw up a couple of pieces of wood and put some stuck around it because uh, we haven't had to worry about energy prices and being efficient. But in other parts of the country, they weatherize the crap out of their homes and they're super efficient. And one of the things that I read about in uh, his very long email <laughs> that he said was very short, that he said was short, but it it's was not an all short. Excellent email. It it's, was. It's very really good. good. Yeah. Is that there? There's these things called uh, super insulated homes where they insulate them, and when they're done, they do it some more, and when they're done with that, they do it some more, and you can get down to where you use one tenth the energy of a normal insulated home. Basically, you can take a hairdryer and turn it on in the, in the bathroom, and it'll heat the whole house. I thought you were going to say you just fart, and that heats the and whole then house. Do it too. And then you have to open a window. No, then you lose all the energy. So this actually reminded me of the 18 month. Uh, what would I call this? An adventure, a nightmare in trying to build a passive house that was LEAD. That's uh, in the United States, we have this organization called LEAD, uh, Leadership and Environmental and Something Design. And basically, I wanted a LEAD Platinum home, which meant it was the most conservative as far as energy and water use as possible and went through, like I said, 18 months, special architect. We switched architects, went and got basically to the point of building out or at least designing a 2,600 square foot home that was almost entirely passively heated, passively cooled with reusable uh, gray water, rain collected off the roof. I really wanted to go all out. I mean, I was really into it. And the bottom line is there are so many limitations here in the United States, or at least locally, to get this done. Of course, it was 2007, but I there was only one builder who would look at this plans, didn't turn his head upside down and say, what? And would build it. And his his it was going to cost $1 million. That was the quote to build the house on a lot that I, we already owned. We needed to take down the house. The plan was to take down the house and have all the wood recycled. There are companies that do this. They'll mm-hmm. disassemble your house. They'll reuse the wood. It takes longer. It costs money. You have to pay them to do this. Mm-hmm. And so this thing was so unbelievably expensive, at least 50% more than it would have cost. And there would probably have been cost overruns. I can go on and on. So let's go on. Mike Spear says vacuums on the roof. Basically, he puts a link there to Spaceballs, <laughs> and all I can say is watch Spaceballs. If you haven't watched Spaceballs, watch Spaceballs because Elon and all his friends are all of the time. Plaid. Remember Plaid. Plaid mode coming. Joel <laughs> Sepp said something about uh, I was reading a letter or Tom was reading it and it got cut off in post-production. Did I say something offensive? I can't remember. And if I had more interest in this show, I wouldn't have watched <laughs> Captain Sully. I would have gone back and listened to see what he was talking about. But I wanted to watch Captain Sully, which is a really good movie. But it's no, movie. we don't believe you said anything offensive. Uh, Mel edits this show and he usually does it quite drunk. Oh, I'm usually completely hammered. Uh <laughs> Michael Sullivan has a uh, suggestion for Robert. And what is that? You can't go back to your data prior to letting Tesla log your monitor. So you asked if you could see all of your past supercharger uses. Uh, You cannot. Oh, that's upsetting. Uh, Thomas, (laughs) what is it? Prendergast. Prendergast? Yes, Prendergast. Uh, It says uh, here that New Zealand uses... 82% 82% renewables, mostly predominantly hydro and geothermal, which is pretty cool. I had no idea. Yeah. Thomas Andrew- is from Denver, by the way, not from New Zealand. That's yeah. upsetting. Andrew Bell 
uh, says, what does he say? Uh, oh, he talks about this place in Edmonton. I guess there's some um, old airport or something like that. And they are going to build a little community that's zero energy. So they've got the funding to start this thing going. They say it'll actually be self-sustaining when they get this thing moving. But basically, using all these things we're talking about with energy and buildings and the sewer, even your poopy can be used to heat up uh, buildings and stuff. They're going to do all of this. It's interesting. We'll follow it. And these are super insulated homes. These are the ones I was talking about. One-tenth the energy of a well-insulated home. Pretty cool. It's excellent. I think that pushing the area, pushing the envelope is what we really need. There's in Arizona, I was doing some research for our trip. There's the biome, which is this experimental place where they were running as if they were living on a planet, right? All sealed in, it failed, but still they're Mm -hmm. using it for researching and to look to see how can we better improve our ability to live closer to zero. Andre Rodriguez says... Very nice. Yeah, um, yeah, I can speak Portuguese. He's from Portugal. (laughs) Which, by the way, has very few chargers for electric cars. It's really sad. If you look at the map that uh, Felix sent us, it's really sad. None. Now, here's the most important thing. He says, I am the smart one. Thank you very much. Hold on a second. I didn't read that. I must have missed that. And then he says... I uh, must have a reading disorder because I didn't (laughs) see it either. You need to check out the banks and you need to think about the concept of uh, divesting from the fossil fuel industry. And he gives us some links there. This is something that I am very interested in. And again, I'm completely ignorant of. Does this work? Is this useful? Um, If I put money in a bank, does that bank then go on make the Dakota pipeline? Is there a bank that'll just say, no, we're only going to help fund things that are green and you're good? How do you do this? How do you know that this place that you're about to invest in is actually safe and reasonable? Lots and lots of questions, but I like the concept because a number of big companies and big uh, foundations, the Rockefeller Foundation, for example, has completely divested from fossil fuels. All right. I got to the end of uh, his email and it does say, P.S., I think Mel is the smart one, comma, although... I know he will screw up my name. But he did not. I and know. He's, he thinks you're the smart one, but he's still – he's a little on the fence Look, about I it. I think there's a lot of people that are on the <laughs> fence about that. Alan Northcutt is talking about the Chevy Bolt. He lives in Texas, but he wants a Bolt so bad that he's actually going to get one from California. And he takes aim at what I said last week, which was that uh, natural gas is actually cleaner than coal. And he sends me an article that says if you count in the methane emissions over time uh, – Natural gas is just as dirty as coal. Dirty, dirty. Which is really depressing because I thought, well, at least we're going through this transition from coal to a cleaner fossil fuel as we get to renewables. And he's saying, and here's another reason for you not to sleep at night. And oh, Alan you. took us to school. John Ford hmm. has an email here that uh, basically says to Robert, you need to think about the fact that the synthetic leather that you said you should get, you should vegan leather it. Is bad too because they make it out of fossil fuels. Or they do. They can make it out of corn products. So if you look at here in California, a lot of the plastic bags, a lot of the plastic cutlery, that's forks, spoons, and knives for Americans, is made Thank out you. of corn products, which actually does biodegrade. It does biodegrade for sure, but it takes you know the energy to to produce it from the corn, ethanol, whatever, however they're doing. My guess is it's right. Well, sort you could of bring your process. own recyclable bag, and you could carry your own spoon, fork, and knife around with you. I do. I used to carry uh, everywhere I went a pair of chopsticks, folding travel chopsticks. And awesome. Like That's genius. And, and when you're trying to eat your hamburger, <laughs> well, you don't need fork and knives for hamburgers, Robert. Right? Unless, you do, unless you do them uh, protein style. So Even th- then, it's wrapped in lettuce. Come on, Robert. This oh, is um, 
this comes up with my wife and I all the time. So, you know, you're living in the, the first world and you're busy and so you go get some fast food. Yes. And it's always in effing plastic. Mm. Yes. And you eat your food and then you throw this plastic into the trash and you're like, yes. this is an environmental disaster. Yes. Where are those... Uh, micro spore fungus containers that I keep hearing about on TED that don't cost any more than plastic and you just throw them in the trash and they dissolve and turn into soil. Where are they? I want them. And when stores, if uh, McDonald's starts using something that's really biodegradable, I will stop going to Red Rooster. I will go to the Red place that's – I don't really go to Red Rooster. But you know what I'm saying? Again, <laughs> I think that's a place. <laughs> Somewhere. Australia, your chicken is ready. Australia. If you start to think about the not just electric cars and all stuff, but just the crap that I throw away every year that doesn't biodegrade, uh, I want to go yeah. to the place and buy the stuff and the food and the things from a area that actually has containers that biodegrade. So two things. I, go, I eat a lot of food from Whole Foods. They, they have some questionable practices and ethics, and, I, and I, I'm aware of that. But they do put all of their food in cardboard. That stuff does biodegrade. But a lot of the silverware that you get when you do get your fast food. So the other day I went and picked up some food. I was coming home from a 12-hour shift. The family was hungry. I was hungry. We just ordered out. I go to pick it up. I don't go through every bag. But in the bottom, there was literally a handful of plastic mm. forks, spoons, and knives. And this happens a lot. And I do a lot of eating out or away, I should say eating out away from home. So I'm like there with my little food that I prepped and I'm like, oh, damn, I forgot to bring a fork or a spoon. And I go and grab something plastic out of the cafeteria. I've started. This is my challenge to everybody. You two and the rest of Talking Tesla Nation. I'm ready. I take those things and I'll the forks and the knives and the spoons and I will go rinse it off at a water in in the sink. I will wrap it up in a little bit of paper towel and I will take it home. And I have a drawer that is overflowing. In fact, it's overflowed four times. And then what do I do? I scoop it out of the drawer and I put it in a shopping bag and hang it on a hook in the pantry. And then the next time we have a party, I have got hundreds and hundreds of forks and spoons and knives to put out at the party. And then I ask people. You use soap to clean these, right? You're not of course. Just no, he licks them. them. <laughs> yeah, soap no, is bad. It's I use the gray water. <laughs> yeah, of course. Damn, it's like, you know, this stuff is durable. Yeah. You can clean it. Yeah. And, so, and then I explain to people at the party, I'm sorry, I don't want to look like an idiot, but you've got little forks, bigger forks, different style forks, different color forks, but this is all reused. And please don't throw it away. Put it in the sink, and we'll wash it again. How much? How much petroleum can we save if we do that? A lot. I've I I actually can. I've ran the more durable plastic cutlery in my dishwasher, and it survives pretty well, and it gets very clean, very sanitized. So. Like these ideas. Let's go. Diego Quivero has another uh, letter for us, and he sends us one every week, which we love. And this one I really like. He's talking about. So you guys talked about the fact that solar prices are plummeting, and let me drop some nuggets of information on you. He was looking for some solar. He looked at Solar City. He looked at uh, SunPower that I've used. He's looked at some other companies, and he said, "So the prices of solar are going down, but uh, you still have to shop around because SunPower he got a staggering five 
$5.15 per kilowatt unsubsidized quote for a system which was about 10 kilowatts. And at SolarCity, it was less. And then at this other company, it was even less. So the most important part of what he's saying there is shop around because you can pay very different prices. So I uh, asked um, my CFO, Kelly, who's just having a solar system placed on her house by a very small independent group in Burbank, and they came in at around $3.50. I just put some solar on Grandpa's house, and it came in at about 5 bucks thirty, and that was SunPower. But SunPower is generally much more expensive because they've traditionally had much more efficient panels, and they have microinverters on every panel. And I didn't want to get into the problem with shading reducing my energy production. But if you want just the cheapest... You also have to be a little careful because there is now some evidence that some of the really cheap Chinese panels actually degrade quite quickly, whereas SunPower and some of these other higher cost, initially cost systems don't grade as fast. So you've got to sort of weigh this in and do a little homework. You might be getting a really cheap system, but it's not going to be great in 10 years. And Diego says everybody should get on Patreon and like donate $100 a month to the show because he wants Mel. To become a billionaire because he wants his model. <laughs> right. I did say that if I become a billionaire, I'm buying every Patreon subscriber a Model 3. And I stand by that. I stand by it. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. I stand by it too. And here's hoping it happens because yeah. I'm going to be a Patreon Still subscriber. Still not exactly yeah, sure. I get on the Patreon. <laughs> not sure how this is going to happen, but it could happen at any time. <laughs> Joel Sapp's talking about superconductors. We talked about that during the show. And again, in summary, mostly I get sick of these vaporware. There's a new battery coming. There's a new superconductor. He thinks that uh, there's actually something happening here that in Surrey, uh, in the University of Bristol, there is this uh, optics company that helped sort of develop soft contact lenses that has this polymer that looks like you're going to be able to shove an enormous amount of energy into the superconductor, and it has high energy density. I don't understand the science, but superconductors is actually what Elon was doing his PhD on. Yeah. So this is the ability to put in a lot of charge, not like a battery, but you can put a huge amount of charge in very quickly, and then you can discharge it very quickly. But the problem with superconductors is that they've had really crappy energy density. So right. it wasn't very useful for an electric car. These guys say, we think we've cracked it. We can have high energy density, super fast, Theoretically, they say we'd be able to have a EV car that has, say, 50 kilowatt hours of uh, capacity, and you could charge it in like five seconds. Or have it so that the front lane or, or a lane in the in the highway or in the city has ability to transfer electricity to the car. The supercapacitor could grab it. Like if you're stopped, this was for buses, basically. Buses stop at a bus stop. There's a pad underneath them, transmits a lot of electricity while it's stopped offloading and unloading passengers. And then that energy gets trickled into the battery and the thing can go like forever and never have to be fueled. You could have buses automated running 24-7 forever. I think this is great. And I look forward to more tech. More tech is going to solve a lot of our problems. What do you think would happen on a bus in Los Angeles at 2 a.m. without a driver on it? What happens now with the driver? A lot of <laughs> well, urinating there and must be, sleeping. There and must drug be drug. some deterrent to having a driver on yeah, There's like a RoboCop. <laughs> like something that wanders up and down the thing. Yeah. Excuse me, sir. Put your penis back in your pants. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wake up. Wake up. Get now, off the bus. The only problem with a supercapacitor that could get 50 kilowatt hours in five seconds is having the uh, 
size of the pipe that could actually put that energy <laughs> in that fast, which at that level would be silly. But if you could get it down to five or ten minutes, that it's would be cool. a lot of copper, right? People there. might not want to live near that charging system because then every every so often the lights in the house just kind of brown out. It would be cool during an electric storm to have all the uh, supercapacitors out there and just sort of turned on and as the lightning goes down, just charging them just up. charged up the whole city That'd for a year. What happens cool. if you're what happens if you're getting a charge during a lightning storm? Would that make it more risky to double charge? William <laughs> Yeah. William Stewart says uh, Tom's hopped to Hobbitland out. William's <laughs> a little bit confused. First of all, he thinks Tom lives in New Zealand. I think what he's saying is when I'm in New Zealand. Where am I staying so he can send me a gift because it's probably too expensive to send it to the is States that what is my means? guess. Now, what I will say to you, William, is uh, I wasn't invited to the wedding in New Zealand. If wah, I was wah, invited wah. to the wedding in New Zealand, I probably couldn't go. So at least I'm not on the hook for uh, CC's gift registry, which is nice. Uh, but Mel will be in New Zealand. I don't know where he's staying, but send him a package and he can bring it home to me because you know what? I love more than gifts. Absolutely nothing. Alex Kimber data sharing in the UK now he brings up the point that in Europe the autopilot data sharing is defaulted turned off so if you're in Europe and you buy an S and you think you're driving around and you're helping Tesla learn about how you drive and to make autopilot better if you haven't gone in there and actually turned it on you're not sharing your data whereas in the US it is defaulted to on but now this is interesting because have you guys gone in and looked in the software that you could turn that data off? That's I, what I want to know. I was not aware I could turn it off. I just thought Elon was a judge. No more data I sharing. I, I don't know. I guess there's data sharing in my car, but not very much. I would share, you know, how fast do you want autonomy? How Share valid the crap you, out of that. Yeah, how valid do yeah, you want I mean, autonomy? I mean, I think it's interesting by like – so it's a it's sort of a default – privacy situation right i mean if you have like two mistresses or you're doing shady business you might not want to share it because you don't want them to be able to somehow this has never happened still people were talking about this when the s first came out oh what it's going to be 3g connected 24 7 they're going to be able to see where you are they're going to be able to see how fast you're driving yeah you get in an accident you were driving 95 miles an hour you were being reckless somebody could subpoena that record from tesla you know they've anonymized it and that's actually not been an issue well but they have also used it to defend themselves when people say they've gotten into accidents right they've used that information to be like no sorry that guy was driving x amount so like they definitely it's not completely autonomized at least not internally for them anonymized Anonymized, sorry i've given up on the fact that uh you can sort of stay off the grid i think with all of the technologies your phones your cars they know where you are and what you're doing at all times, so I've yeah. given up. Michael Hopwood says, uh, you guys uh, talk about <laughs> SpaceX a lot, but what the hell about their carbon footprint? You're all worried of liberal losers about the end of the world, but they're firing up these rockets and methane and it's bad. And it's interesting that I've never actually asked, the, I've never seen SpaceX specifically say, here's the things we're doing to try and to be green. I've never seen it. And I think Elon and the boys should say, here's what we're doing to try and make our rocket program as clean as possible. Actually, I, I remember Elon talking about how they're in the Falcon 9 using kerosene to get the rockets up and that there is no other alternative at this time, but they've designed the rockets to use the least amount of kerosene or petroleum products as possible. And I don't know that they're able to carbon offset that. That would be a cool thing, but 
no one else is trying to do that. That's for sure. I believe they've uh, carbon offset it with this small company they've produced called Tesla. Is Tesla. that the whole fact? <laughs> is that the whole reason he made Tesla is to carbon offset the it's other his, company? It's his, it's his so. carbon offset. I feel bad company. about rockets, so let me start a car company that does electricity. And now he's like, I got Solar City, and I got this. And he says, Michael Hopwood at the beginning of his letter says he loves listening to the show, and despite you guys. I managed to learn a lot. That's excellent. <laughs> the next letter is from Jay Rolando Sanchez, who says, mostly to Mel, he's going to buy a second-hand Tesla, and he worked out really well, kind of scarily, <laughs> exactly how old my Tesla is. He's watching and listening. He is watching. And he says, but I'm really worried about you know this thing breaking, as many people are, because he, lives, he doesn't want to deal with it. He lives a long way from uh, where they could fix it. Mm-hmm. So I would say this. My three, which is around July 2014 – has been really good. It's had it's two an S, issues. Not a three. My thank you. I wish it was a three. Uh, my S has basically had the windows fall off the rails, so I couldn't put them up or down. Mm-hmm. And it's had to have a replacement for the electric motor, which occurred in lots of the it's early like Model Three. Fifty percent of the cars. Since they've replaced it, it's been completely fine. And they've replaced. Did they replace most yours? Of them by now, you yes. have an early one. Yeah. They replaced mine. Did they replace yours? I don't know. It was Some, a CPO. Okay, so you're already, yours was a little older, but may have already been replaced. So that issue seems to have gone away. The only other problem I had was with, was with the onboard charger, which, again, in some of the first early generation cars, that onboard charger would break, and mine broke, so I couldn't charge my car. But I think if it's later than about uh, 2014, that most of those uh, episodes have been resolved. You mean and late in 2014 or late 2015? In, late in 2014, mm-hmm. 2015, I think a lot of those issues got fixed. But if you buy a certified pre-owned, I think you're going to be fine because they'll deal with it or they've already fixed it. And here's something fascinating. If you wait a couple of weeks, you could buy Mel's because Tesla's about to own it. So this yeah, will be very interesting. Could actually there be could be a talking Tesla listener in Ooh. the next couple of months that's driving around Mel's S. Where could we hide I know. a talking Tesla like time machine capsule in your car that Tesla might not find it? We should sign it somewhere like under right. maybe the power cable or something like that and yeah. inside the power cable like with a silver yes. sharpie right they're going to do a full inspection and you know i was thinking that i could no, do something like somewhere that, they're, they're not going to be somewhere because it would be cool okay everybody in talking tesla land that just bought a new car or a second-hand car and it's gray and it's 2014 minutes check Ooh. under the seat because there's a billion dollars and if they find it we could they'll win a prize or something Ooh, like that we could give them something right so like once mel's gets sends his car back we'll figure out some way to hide something under the seat i think is probably the best place for it that mm. they won't find it or in the trunk underneath the carpet potentially just a little sticker or where something they, where do they do it in all the spy movies it's like under you know, the we'll wheel well or yeah like a magnetic yeah. thing maybe underneath somewhere so it's aluminum yeah there's a certain smell that's quite unique. To it. Maybe that's <laughs> we could put it in the front. We'll find someplace and we'll let you know. And if you find it, uh, we'll send you a Talking Tesla mug. There's always the VIN number, you know, that yes. doesn't identify it. Oh, yeah, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not, a, no, that's not quite fun. as fun, Robert. You just sucked the whole life out of this oh, whole ladies thing. and gentlemen, boys and girls, I was so worried that this was going to be a really short show and now people are used to long shows. But somehow we've managed to BS on for so long, it's ridiculous and now i want to do a plug for another tesla podcast a plug wait on an electric ev show we are all 
Paul Ecumenical here, and I, like uh, many of you, listen to a number of different Tesla shows, and uh, i got to say that the, the Tesla show is very different than our show, spectacularly different. Um, they actually have information. Hold on a second. <laughs> like <It's>, real information? <laughs> should I listen to the show for this show? It's actually two tech dudes, and instead of covering lots and lots of different stuff, they, they basically cover, stuff. They cover in detail one thing. And they do a really good job of it. So I've got to say hats off. And if you are looking for another Tesla podcast that's really different to this stupid podcast, they're very good. And the one they did on Solar City and how it works and the financing was really outstanding. So hats off to the Tesla show. Good work. And if you want us to do one in-depth show, send us a topic and we probably still won't do it. Yeah, I'm sure we won't. <laughs> we don't have the, uh, the the ability to focus. We all have ADHD. And uh, people keep asking about uh, going zero. So I've actually done the first prototype for the first one, and I might share it with the Patreon people so that I can get their feedback. It's mostly just me talking, but it's edited, and I'm going to make it much more interesting mm. now. But I'm interested with some feedback about the level of the information and uh, what I may have missed that you think is important as a, a Tesla geek. I think it's important that uh, the those of us who are involved in talking Tesla and maybe going zero need to go to Sweden need to go to Germany and actually see what are people doing there and talk to people. I think we need to make a world trip. I think you're right. The Talking Tesla Roadshow in Germany and Scandinavian countries that I can't name, nor do I know where they are on a map, (laughs) and Sweden and Switzerland, which apparently are right next door to each other and have the same language. I'm just saying. I'm be great. No, that's not – the last thing you said is incorrect. I'm pretty sure incorrect. everything I said is incorrect. <laughs> Getting a freaking migraine from this. Uh, I mean, I'm happy to go uh, on the, the foolie-boo dime to Europe to learn yeah, we're about European Yeah, we're going to have to get a things. few more Patreon subscribers. But hey, remember that if you all give $100 a month and there's tens of thousands of you, I could become a billionaire, then you're going to get a Model 3. So in the end, you'll actually save money because – the now, math is difficult, but trust me, give us a lot of money. Now we did fine. lock we did lock the Patreon date, I believe, to the day of that announcement. So you had to have been a Patreon subscriber on the day you announced you were going to be no, I guess I'm out. a billionaire. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we've jumped the shark. We jumped the shark about an hour ago. <laughs> we'll talk to you next week. See Bye, Talking Tesla is a production of Fully Boo Incorporated. Produced by Mel Herbert and CC Herbert. Hosted by Mel Herbert, Tom Wilson, and Robert Rosenblum. To support Talking Tesla, go to patreon.com forward slash talking Tesla. And finally, if you love the show, write us a review on iTunes.